Welcome to The Modern Lawyer, a podcast about the changes and growth in the modern legal industry. I'm your host, Anand Upadhyay. Today, we're discussing the daunting question that every law firm, whether it's an AmLaw 100 firm or a three-attorney practice, is trying to answer. What's the point of innovation? What do we have to gain from it? Today, we spoke with Scott Rechschaffen, Chief Knowledge Officer and shareholder at Littler Mendelssohn, to pick his brain about why he thinks it's so important for firms to spend the time to find new solutions to old problems. He's a master of thinking about things from a different angle and finding more efficient and comprehensive solutions to problems the legal industry has faced for a long time. Scott has presented dozens of times as a thought leader at conferences like ILTA and the ARC Knowledge Management Conference, and he's one of the founders of the legal knowledge management space. I was a practicing attorney at Littler. Uh, that's where I started my career and uh, practiced for many, many years, um, became a shareholder or equivalent of partner. And you know, during that time, I just naturally gravitated to sort of alternative ways of doing things. Some things uh, frustrated me, particularly repetitive tasks. Um, you know, back uh, then, this is late 80s, early 90s, um, we were constantly drafting the same policies over again for clients and agreements and handbooks, and I thought there's got to be a better way. Um, and, and fortunately, I worked for, uh, and still do, a, a very entrepreneurial firm that gave me a lot of latitude to try different things, and so I developed, um, you know, a very early stage document automation, which was at the time pretty much relying on mail merge. Um, I hooked up with some outside software companies that were interested in working with us, video companies, um, and, and slowly but surely, whenever someone had a crazy idea, they would say, hey, let's call Scott and see what he could do. So I, I sort of developed this reputation for doing, you know, offbeat types of projects. You know, it's just sort of in my nature to question the way and the why of uh, and how we do things. Um, you know, whether it's, I mean, I love to cook and I'm always saying, why am I doing it this way? There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way. Um, so it's sort of my outlook on life to, to find different ways of doing things if, if they're more efficient. I don't, I don't question things that work, um, uh, but I do question things that people just do out of habit or this is the way we've always done it. I think the second thing is that I, I was very fortunate to, to work in a firm like Lipper that was entrepreneurial and work for, um, you know, some visionaries uh, just through, you know, the accident of chance that I happened to be working on various projects. And uh, I mean, I was a fairly good editor and we published starting in about 1983 or four uh, compendium of, of employment law. And it was something we, we actually gave away to clients. It was, it was rather remarkable to be doing something like that because it was uh, it had answers to questions that clients ordinarily would call their lawyer to ask and get a bill for. And here, here we were giving it away, so I wound up being the editor of that. And then this board game. So uh, one of the other things that Littler did uh, that I thought was pretty early for a law firm was starting in about 1983, we started having annual client conferences. Now, every industry has a client conferences, every good business does that, but it was rather unique for law firms. 
year. I think we had 100 people, and then by about you know the mid 90s, we were regularly getting about a thousand people. You know, it, it was the same type of thing where a lot of uh, attorneys said, well, what, what are you talking about? We're just going to get up and give away answers when I could charge for that. And, and Gary was very prescient. Gary Mathiason is a senior shareholder at Littler, who is recognized as a leader in innovation in employment law and information technology. I don't know if he foresaw the Internet, but I wouldn't be surprised. But he recognized that information has value more for marketing than for the actual dollar that you're going to get for it. And it helps establish your authoritative brand. I mean, for example, with our books, we published what we called the National Employer before we had a single office outside of California. So when we go into a prospective client in New York, we're able to give them this three-volume book of national labor law and employment law and say, look, we wrote the book. And it sort of made up initially for the fact that we didn't have a New York office. And the same thing, um, we published the Littler International uh, Guide to International Employment Law before we had a single office outside the United States. You know, this was content marketing um, that was really woven into the way we did things. And I think it was really, really, um, uh, it had a tremendous impact. And it got ingrained into the culture of our firm that this is this is what we do. We, we write, we speak. And so anyway, in the mid-90s, Gary used to do the general session at this client conference. And again, we'd have an audience of about a thousand people. And uh, he'd always have a theme. And one year, the theme was the law of training. This was shortly after the Farragher and Ellerth decisions. Farragher v. Boca Raton and Ellerth v. Burlington are two seminal cases on workplace harassment that created a legal requirement for employers to train their employees on workplace issues. After these two cases were handed down, employers moved fast to learn what steps they needed to take to comply with the new laws. And he came into my office and he said, uh, I need your help. And I said, okay, well, what? He said, well, it's going to be the law of training. I said, great. What does that have to do with me? He said, well, I, I was in Toys R Us last night. Um, and I was with my daughters. And I was in the aisle where they had all these board games. And he said, you know, we always like at this conference not just to tell people what the law is, but, you know, to give them something they could take back to their workplace and use. I said, okay, great. What, what does that have to do with me? And he said, I want you to build a board game that we can give to people to help them in training, you know, to make training fun. So I literally got permission to spend two months building a board game. And it was sort of like trivial pursuits. You marched around the board answering questions so you could become team leader of the year. And it was a huge hit at the conference. People were, were just wild about it. You don't have to be a specialist to be innovative. Scott is an experienced attorney, but he has no background in board game design. He just saw that there was an opportunity to do something a better way. I had been taught that, you know, serving your clients isn't just about appearing in court or writing memos or, or drafting letters. There are other ways to deliver legal services. And if we could train managers um, and enhance the workforce, that, that was part of our job. And, and it was funny, we, we put the games in, uh, in Tyvek's envelopes and take them to the bottom of everybody's chair. 
and Gary and the panel are doing the whole thing about training and, and Gary said, well, we at Littler, we don't just tell you what the law is, we give you tools to help you manage the law, so please reach under your seat. And everybody reached under their seat and pulled out this board game. And again, people went wild. Um, the funny thing, I thought this was a great marketing gimmick, um, but the funny thing is that the game started selling. We were selling them for $100 a copy. Then um, we made a training edition with a video and a trainer's manual and extra board, uh, extra playing pieces. And, you know, we were selling that for $500. Then the game got featured on ABC News, Wired World Reports, or whatever it was called at the time. Um, uh, Tower Records, which was a good client of, of mine, um, had built a life-size version of the game <laughs> with gigantic dice and managers <laughs> would stand on the board and move around. So it really became a hit. And at some point, Gary said, you know, there, there's a business here. And not just in board games, but in online training. This is the time we were doing lots of live training. Clients would call, you know, every attorney had the ability to go into a client, spend half a day or a day, you know, in a classroom setting training managers. Well, that's prohibitively expensive, particularly if you're going to try and train people frequently as you should to make it effective. So Gary foresaw online training. So we created a company um, called DLT and employment law training. And we got outside funding, and I went over part-time to help get that company off the ground. It, uh, it turned in, you know, it took a long time. We had our ups and downs. We got hit by the, the dot-com bust. Um, but eventually, about 10 years later, maybe 12 years later, we eventually sold that company, and it, it did very well for the firm. Um, but prior to selling it, I had come back to the firm, and the firm said, okay, what else can you do? And it was interesting. We were at a strategic um, planning meeting, and we were talking about all the different little activities we had, the books, the conferences, the software, the games. And um, uh, one of the, the issues that came up at that time, we were still a small firm, fewer than 200 attorneys, maybe fewer than 10 offices. And we had a vision, another one of our founding fathers, Wes Fastest, you know, had this vision of us being a global firm with over a thousand attorneys and slowly started building out a knowledge management function at the firm. Uh, we just, in fact, celebrated our 15th anniversary, and, and now I have a team of 50 people. Often, one good idea can lead to more. Once Scott started looking for ways to innovate, he found them nearly everywhere. I think KM is at a tipping point. And if we're not at a tipping point, we will be soon. You know, there, there's sort of the old school KM, which was precedent libraries and enterprise search and portals and databases. And uh, that was sort of the old way of doing things. And now there are all, there are so many new ways of doing things. Um, you know, AI and robotics and, and you know, all the legal tech companies who, call us every day with a, with a new solution we should deploy. Um, and, and we sort of have to uh, not grab for the shiny object, but understand what are the real um, problems we're trying to correct? What are the use cases um, where new solutions would actually work? Um, and, and really, 
really what's our role versus the role of application development, for example, um, or even uh, marketing and business development. I mean, we have a fabulous apps dev team with whom we work all the time. We have a terrific marketing and business development team with whom we work all the time, um, and, and all the other corporate functions within a, a law firm. Um, how do we work together? How do we figure out um, who should be doing what? Um, and, and so that, that can be a bit of a challenge. Another example of low-hanging innovation fruit was getting rid of distracting and often pointless firm-wide emails, also known as RFIs, requests for information. I personally remember getting dozens of these emails a week as a litigator at a firm and thinking, firm-wide emails can't be the best medium for these requests. Scott's solution was to create the Littler Knowledge Desk, a way for attorneys at his firm to be able to find resources more effectively. My favorite all-attorney email of all time, at least in our firm, was, does anybody know anything about Illinois wage hour law? And the response was, I don't know, maybe someone in our Chicago office. And all of that, of course, is in reply alls, reply alls, reply alls. Yeah, um, I'll never forget another one where someone was asking if anybody had known a particular plaintiff's attorney, and the response came from the person in the very next office. But meanwhile, a thousand attorneys had to, had to see not one, but two emails. Anyway, um, yeah, so the Knowledge Desk, uh, it was an interesting concept, you know. I go to ARC, and I go to ILTA, and I'm going to legal tech, and I, you know, I get to do this, a West Coast group that gets together a few KM professionals, and, you know, one refrain I hear over and over again is, we roll out these fabulous tools, enterprise search, uh, extranets, intranets, web portals, databases, you know, all the latest stuff, and users don't, you know, the attorneys don't use them. And everybody gets so frustrated. I mean, I've gotten frustrated. I mean, when I see an all-attorney email, you know, like who's litigated against a certain plaintiff's attorney, and I say, you know, if you just plug that into, you know, our enterprise search, you get the answer in 10 seconds. And, you know, we've tried all sorts of campaigns to remind people and marketing and things like that. When we run into these issues with adoption, many people think it's just because lawyers hate technology. And I really don't think that's it. I think it's that there are, you know, we're dealing with busy professionals and they, you know, they need an answer. And in the real world, when they need an answer, what do they do? They go on Google, what's up? You know, or maybe Bing, but you know, by and large, they, and, and they get the answer no matter what it is they're looking for. But we don't have a Google. So we give them a dozen different choices and they have to figure out Okay, here's what I need. Do I go to the intranet? Do I go to the firm's website? Do I go to the search? Do I, you know, where do I go? And they don't want to make that decision. I can attest to that. I mean, even my last year of practice at a large firm, you know, I, this was maybe in the last six months, I was still, after many years there, I was still discovering new technology that the firm had, but I didn't know they had it. You know, we've got all these research tools, we've got, you know, form generators, we've got document automation systems, we've got all this, and, you know, it, it, I think it confuses more than it helps. So, um, we came up with this idea of the knowledge desk. And it's basically, you know, I, I actually got the idea from um, the, you know, when you, when you uh, check into a hotel, you've got a concierge. 
or, or you've got that book on the desk that tells you, you know, how to order flowers or how to order room service or a babysitter. Um, you know, you don't have to think. There's somebody who can who can help you get the answer. So we created the knowledge desk. Basically, um, and this was also during a time when I was reorganizing who did what on my team. And part of my team is, is the library research uh, function. And we had these terrific, uh, terrific group of uh, librarians and library assistants who, who know the answers to these questions. They know the firm. They know how to use these tools. So we basically came up with a communications campaign where we said to every attorney in the firm and every member of staff, the knowledge desk, your answer is here. And we gave everyone these beautiful clay coasters to put on their desks, which say, the knowledge desk, your answer is here. And we had marketing slicks and we had presentations. And we just said, look, we don't care what the question is. We'll help you. Um, it was automatic. I mean, you know, yeah, the first year um, we had 18,000 requests and we just finished uh, 2017 where we had 26,000 requests. And of course, you know, on the back end, you know, the attorneys, they don't look at this as technology. They look at it as instead of sending an all attorney email, I'll just check with them out. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a technology they're used to, email. But on the back end, you know, my team is using um, an IT type uh, uh, service desk uh, ticketing system. So we're tracking every query that comes in. We're archiving every query so that we can, you know, repeat, when we get repeat questions, we have the answer ready to go. My, my team is using all of these different technologies. They're using enterprise search. They're using all these research tools. They're using the databases we have set up. And, you know, so for the attorneys who we will never get to engage in self-service, we're basically saying to them, you don't have to. You know, let, let me let me go back in time for a minute. Um, so in the early days of employment law and labor law, when I started back in the early 80s, you know, we owned the fields. So and I don't mean our firm, I mean employment and labor lawyers. So um, HR people, they didn't issue a policy. They didn't issue a handbook without running it by their outside counsel. They, a lot of them wouldn't terminate anybody without running it by outside counsel. We were the go-to resource for HR and employment law. And over the years, we saw that sort of dissipate. Um, you know, I used to, one of those repetitive tasks I hated doing was drafting employee handbooks. I would do it easily 100, 150 of them a year, you know, drafting them from scratch. Um, very few companies call their outside counsel and ask them to draft an employee handbook. I mean, they might ask us to review one, right. but generally they go to an HR consultant or they go to SHRM, the HR management society, or they go, they find some software online or they find a handbook online by Googling it and then modifying it. And similarly, they don't call us every time they terminate an employee. Um, they do in some cases and often, but not always. Um, when they classify someone as overtime exempt, they typically don't call their lawyer. So we've seen a lot of things that, you know, we were the go-to resource um, is, is no longer the case. And I think that kind of, I think that's analogous to what we're going to see in the legal industry. Law firms will no longer own the law. 
first of all, a huge change from the time I practiced um, was, you know, my, our clients were HR professionals. Uh, most companies didn't have in-house employment lawyers. Now, now most good-sized companies have in-house employment lawyers, and the size of those staffs are growing. Right. Um, they also, you know, we, we didn't have options like, uh, you know, the legal process outsource companies, the legal technology companies, um, the big four accounting firms. Uh, there are alternative providers, and unless law firms um, find a way to competitively reach out for that, to reclaim that work or hold on to that work, we're going to lose it. In the last few years, Littler has brought on some pretty impressive people. Most recently, Aaron Cruz as the firm's first chief data analytics officer. Before, uh, uh, before Aaron, Zav Eigen, I should say Dr. Eigen, you know, uh, uh, MIT PhD, um, in a chief science officer role, also in, in uh, the general field of data science. You know, it's, you know, that's, you have to evolve at the time. Uh, you know, Gary, uh, just about, I don't know, four years ago, maybe five, came up with the idea of starting a robotics and AI practice group. And he has spent the last five years building this practice group, which is, you know, one of the, I think we're one of the few firms in the, in, in the country that is now focused on the robotics industry mm-hmm. and working with companies to understand the impact of robotics on their, uh, on their workplaces from an employment law and HR perspective. And so we, we're just continuing to, you know, look at, look to the future and, uh, and try and uh, uh, prepare for it. Innovation is necessary, but time-consuming. Taking a step back and assessing whether a process is efficient is often a difficult thing for a busy lawyer to do. Having said that, clients are expecting you to be faster, more accurate, and more attuned to their needs. According to Scott, if you see a process that can be improved in some way, look into it. Think about it. Ask questions. As Scott says, don't stop until you know that it is the best possible way to do it. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you. As you know, we're just starting out and highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onan at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon. Bye.